Thank you, Steve. Thank you, guys. I'm excited to be here and do this. Um, I had uh, felt something bubbling to do this for uh, a good while, and uh, kind of as we met as elders and trustees, um, and we're kind of looking at the schedule while uh, Alan and Gail are uh, taking a break. Um, I said, you know what? I think I think I got something. Uh, the idea of doing it terrifies me a bit. Uh, which Ken Armstrong responded that uh, the idea of me doing it also terrifies him. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, so I asked the Lord if I could make the entire sermon about the depravity of the Scots. Um, and it, 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 it turns out that the Lord's not big on uh, fulfilling your vendettas from the pulpit. So he, uh, he nixed that. So uh, pray with me real quick. So Lord, uh, I thank you for the word you've given me. Lord, I ask that you'd help me to be a good steward of it. I ask that you would give us all hearts to receive uh, everything that you have for us, Lord. Um, I pray in Jesus' name. So uh, happy that the news of uh, Paul and Ruth is out. For me, short, bald guy, it was a no-brainer, right? No-brainer. <laughs> easy decision. Um, so I'm going to be talking. Uh, most of you know I'm an elder. Steve just said it, right? Um, and... Uh, this is a time of transition. There's been harder times throughout history. Um, some of the biblical texts we look at uh, tonight, you know, there's, there's been times that certainly a lot more transition, a lot more chaos than what we're dealing with. But kind of in my life, uh, you know, what our nation's going through now, uh, it's kind of the weirdest, weirdest season I've been through, you know. And uh, so I think it's a good time with the transition our church is in the uh, kind of chaos of the world, and maybe more than the chaos, just the, the noise that's going on in the world, um, it's a good time to remember who we are. So as a father in my house, um, you know, I like to remind my kids when they're going out and doing something that I don't worry about, you know, it's I love you, go have fun. Um, when they're going out to do something that I'm a little worried about, what are the influences and how are they going to handle it, um, saying something more like remember who you are, love you. Um, and so I think it's a good, good time for us as a church to remember who we are. So we are a people of the covenant and we've had great teaching for a lot of years now under Pastor Allen, um, learning, you know, the thread of the covenant from beginning of Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation. Um, and, and I think that it's become a part of our DNA to be able to see that, to be able to interpret the Bible from that, and, and rightly so. Um, I'm going to zoom in and look at uh, a piece in the middle uh, there, uh, and specifically Judges and First um, Samuel, and I'm going to set the set the frame a little bit for those, uh, just so we understand. So, people come out of Egypt, and they. Uh, Moses leads them to the edge of the promised land, right? Long story made short. Um, have to wait for his generation to pass away. And then Joshua gets to lead the people into the land. Caleb is still with him. Remember Joshua and Caleb? They were two, the two spies that had gone into the land and always believed that we should just take this. Doesn't matter how big the people are. Doesn't matter how many there are. The Lord's put it in front of us. We should just take this, right? And now they've had to wait. And now they have the opportunity and they flood into the land. They start taking ground. And, and throughout most of Joshua, they mostly are doing it just the way the Lord said, right? And uh, 
then uh, as you roll into Judges, um, things begin to shift a bit, right? Joshua passes, Caleb's getting old, and this next generation is not as bought in to the promises of the Lord. They're just not, right? So pretty soon, they're kind of at a stalemate, right? They've taken some ground, they're sitting surrounded by their enemies, and they've, they've lost their momentum. They've lost it to the effect that the Lord basically says, all right, you know, you're lusting after these people that you should have removed, and you're lusting after their gods. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you taste that. I'm going to let you uh, be tantalized by that. Um, and, and they are. So then we see in Judges, they get on a roller coaster ride. They fall for these other gods. Uh, the nations around them start to uh, take them over. They start to lose in battle. They start to be subjugated to these other people. And then they cry out, right? In the midst of their pain, when everything gets bad, they cry out. And the Lord empowers a judge, uh, who were the leaders during that period, to pull them up a bit, right? So they get pulled up. They have a brief season where, oh, yeah, we remember a bit who we are. And then they turn again to other gods. Um, and you see it up and down again and again. And you got the judges. You got Deborah. You got Othniel. Um, Gideon is going to be the one that I'm talking about. Uh, Samson is famous in there. And then the book ends with Eli. Um, and Eli, uh, it's amazing, right? Chaotic. You read Judges, and it's like, it's like studying the, the European Dark Ages. Um, it just seems so scattered. You've had this linear story, and then nothing seems to fit when you're in Judges. You know, you don't know who these people are. Um, it, it feels like the whole thing was falling apart at some level, right? Um, and then you learn at the end of it, here's Eli. He's been having church service every week, right? He's been making the sacrifices. They've been doing Passover. Um, and so Eli doesn't get great press in there, but I'm amazed. You hit the end of it, and, and there he is, uh, you know, fulfilling the duties of the Levites. Um, rolling into Samuel, um, Hannah has a miracle birth, right? Miracle conception, miracle birth, and she dedicates her son Samuel uh, to the priesthood. Um, so basically, he, Samuel is raised by Eli, and eventually... He takes over the mantle that is on Eli and becomes the final judge um, of Israel. And he's then the father of the new kingdom, the new uh, kingship that, that comes on. And uh, that's, that's going to kind of be where we focus uh, with this. We're going to look at two parallel stories in there. One, the story of Saul and his rise as the first king of Israel. And going back a bit into Judges, Gideon and his rise as a judge. Um, and there's some things that I want to, to point out that I think relate to who we are as a people in the midst of that. Helps if it's on. Yep. There we go. All right. Um, let me get a little further in our story. So uh, Samuel um, rises to be the, the, the judge, if you will, the leader of Israel. Um, and prior to him um, rising to be that judge, the, the people, well, he's become the judge. 
Um, but the people have not really turned their heart to the Lord. They haven't really listened to Samuel at this point. Um, so they're going into battle against the Philistines. The Philistines are the ones currently kicking their butt in this part of the story. And they're going into battle and they're losing. They're losing, you know, one battle they lose 20,000 men. Um, and they, they're coming, they're crying out, why, you know, why, why has the Lord abandoned us? Um, and so they're like, yeah, we got the ark, right? The ark that has all the relics, all of our history. Um, we'll take that into battle with us. So they load up the ark. They take it into battle. Philistines wipe them out and steal their ark. Um, and the Philistines uh, then take the ark into their territory. Um, and interesting, and the reason why I, we'll look at these verses in a minute, the, the Philistines actually start to have more faith in the Lord of Israel than the Israelites do. Um, and partly because curses follow the ark, right? So they, they put the ark in their temple, um, come back the next morning and their God's knocked over on his face. Um, they pick him up, come back the next morning and he's down and his hands are cut off, his head is cut off. And people in that city start getting tumors. They got mice everywhere. And they're like, yeah, maybe we should take this to another town, right? So ship it off to another town. Same thing happens, tumors and mice, bounces around Philistine. And pretty soon they're like, you know what? It'd be a good idea to give Israel their ark back at this point. Um, so this is their plan they devised to do that. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a box at its side the figures of gold, which you're returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. If it goes to Israel, uh, then it is the Lord that's causing us this harm. Uh, if it sticks around here, then it's all just coincidence, right? We just had an outbreak, right? Um, so this is an interesting story. And uh, a disclaimer, I'm a hick from northeast New Mexico. So the, the things like this attract my attention. Um, so you're going to get hick analogies, you know, with different ranch animals. Uh, I've played ball, grew up small town, going to school. Um, basketball was the, the primary religion um, in that area. Um, so I loved it. I played coming up, and then I've been coaching since my 21-year-old was, was six years old. So you'll get, you'll get basketball analogies sewn in there, too. I'm going to try to live, leave off the engineering ones because those are not as fun. Um, and uh, I don't think an analogy about, you know, if you lay your sewer pipe too steep, the poop falls out, or if you lay it too flat, the poop settles out. I, Chris Knighty would love it. He would love it. Not only is he an engineer, but that's his type of humor. Um, but... The rest of you, not so much, okay? So on this one, catches my attention because I'm a hick, right? Of They're trying to uh, test the Lord, if you will, in this, right? To see if this is the Lord or not. And so they take these cows that have calves. Um, and when we brand, you know, we got all the cows and calves. You wind up separating them. You brand the calves. Um, and you, you try to make an attempt as you're, you're gathering everything um, to make sure that the right calf is with the right cow, right? And they're really good at, at telling, and if you give them time, they, they get themselves sorted out. Um, but when a cow is missing her calf, she wants to, the whole time you're driving them, she wants to go back. She wants to go back. If she thinks she doesn't have her calf, she's fighting you and fighting you. She wants to get back to her calf. Um, the same thing, the calf wants to get to the cow. If they totally get separated, um, the thing that you can rely on is that you will find them again at the last place that that calf nursed the cow. So they both know that whatever chaos happens, that they're going to meet back up at the last place where that, that calf uh, got a meal there. 
And so that, that's effectively what they're doing here, right? They're saying, okay, we're separating the cows from the calves. And if these cows go away from their calves, we know that the Lord is the one that caused this. Too. The Lord of Israel is the one that caused this. And that's, that's exactly what happens. The, uh, the cows go away from their calves and the Philistines, at least in this time period, now are putting some credence in probably shouldn't mess with the God of Israel, right? The Israelites are just barely uh, kind of starting to wake up to it again. Um, so they do, they come and cry out because the Philistines are still whipping them. And uh, Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asheroth and they serve the Lord only, right? So they've entered another good season where they set aside these other gods. And now under Samuel, right? And Samuel's no warrior, they start seeing victory, right? So the Philistines have been taking cities from them. All of a sudden they're pushing back and all the territory that the Philistines have taken, they take it back and they throw off these chains that the Philistines have put on them. And they're, they're living relatively freely again um, in that period. Um, and it comes through the fact that they've, they've purified themselves, right? They have gotten back to their roots um, and the one true God. So as I said before, we are a covenant people, right? And we understand that God is faithful in his covenant all the way through. But my question for us is, are we faithful, right? Are we faithful? And it's easy to read about the people of Israel here. And it's like, man, how do they not get it, right? How do they keep how do they keep riding this roller coaster, right? I mean, it seems obvious, um, and I don't think we appreciate, one, kind of the time spans involved in there, and two, um, maybe it's not as obvious, right? Uh, what, what are the things in our lives, right? And we, we think about it a lot, about time, energy, money. Where are those going, right? Where are our time, energy, money going if it's not really to the purposes that the Lord's put in our heart? Maybe we got an idol, right? Maybe we have an idol in our life. And I think we kind of think this way a bit, right? Um, if we got an addiction, if we got something that's just consuming way too much of our time or money, we kind, of, we kind of come to our senses and we get it and we see that as an idol, right? But I think that there's, an, but if there's something coming to mind now, we're in Lent, it's a good time to deal with that idol. Um, and, and tonight's a good time period to deal with an idol. Um, but I want to take another angle that I don't think we think about as much. Um, and now I'm hopping back to our parallel story into Judges. So this is the time of Gideon inside of Judges. Um, they're riding a similar roller coaster, but it's the Midianites that's kicking their butt. Um, and uh, they've hit that low point where they're crying out to the Lord. It says, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So in, in the case of uh, the Israelites here in Gideon's time, it wasn't, they did, they were worshiping other gods, but the thing he keys in here on is, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites. So, so the question I have for you is, you know, we've all received words. Um, 
about who we are, right, in this church. We're, we're a church that, that gives a lot of words. We're, we're expecting uh, the Lord to speak to us. Um, and sometimes we get depressed over the words that we've gotten, right, because it's not, it's not playing out, right, or there's something that the Lord just gives us directly. And, uh, you know, we, we got it burning inside of us sometimes, and, but nothing's happening, right, and nothing's happening. Um, so let me ask you a question. Those things in your heart, in your life, why? Why are they not happening? What are you afraid of? You, you might have just bumped into an idol. You might have just bumped into an idol. So it's not just the things that we're spending our time, energy, and money on. It's the things that we're spending our fear on as well, right? If we got something we're afraid of that's keeping us from the things that God's put in our heart, we might just have bumped into an idol. Okay, so I'm going to hop back uh, into, uh, I'm going to take a peek here. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to hop back into the story of uh, Saul. Um, and uh, we are a kingdom people, right? So we know we're a covenant people. We know that the Lord is faithful from his end. We're also a kingdom people. And these are, these are closely related, but um, there's a distinction here, right? Samuel is the last judge. The Lord would rather leave it in a judgeship, right? He would rather be the king of the people. Um, and you'll see that, that they're not really willing to leave it at that. Even though they've had great, great success under Samuel, um, they cry out. And let's just flip into that. So then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways, which was true. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Because uh, Samuel's, Samuel's line is being replaced, right? So he doesn't like it. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For that they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done. From the day I brought, brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Okay, so God's saying, give them what they want, but give them the warning. So Samuel does, right? He tells them all the bad things that are going to happen if you have a king, right? He's going he's gonna to take a percentage of everything you own to put in his storehouse He's going to take your sons and send them out to war. He's going to take your daughters and make them a part of his household. Um, he's going to screw stuff up. And not only are you now going to pay the consequences for the things you screw up, you're going to pay the consequences for the things that he screws up. So do you really want this? Um, and they say, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voices and make them a king. Samuel then sent everybody home. Um, but what I want us to notice out of here is uh, that they want to be like the other nations, the nations that they were supposed to have already removed. You know, now they want to be like them. Um, and they want this king to go out before them and fight their battles. So they've had God going out with them um, at the guidance of Samuel, 
and defeating the Philistines who had been kicking their butts for years now, right? And now they want the easy button. They want a king who is going to go out in front of them and fight their battles so they don't have to do it, right? The, despite the fact that they've now been having victory, they, they want that easy button, right? And they got, they got uh, Samuel, who's this religious zealot that keeps telling them that the answer to all their problems is get your heart right with God, right? So they want separation of church and state, right? They got Samuel as a separation from God. They had like one more guy stuck in there, um, and to keep them a little bit more separated so they don't got to hear all this, right? Um, that's effectively, effectively what they're asking for here. So the Lord turns them over to give them what they want. So into our story walks Saul. Now, I'm very empathetic towards Saul. He's an easy guy to make a bad guy out of. You know, he went around trying to kill David for years. Uh, so it's, it's understandable on one hand. But Saul is just a guy out looking for dad's donkeys, right? When he enters the story, he's, he's not out campaigning to try to be king. You know, he's not running a, an election uh, campaign to try to be king. He's not raising an army to try to be king. He's a guy out looking for dad's donkeys. And uh, so he's sent out for him. He and his servant, they go looking. They're out for a couple of days. Saul's a fairly uh, kind of considerate guy. He says, you know what? I think at this point, dad's probably missing me more than the donkeys. We should just go home. Um, and his servant says, hey, there's a man of God in this next city. Maybe he can tell us what to do. Let's go ahead and at least get to there. So uh, Saul agrees. Um, but he's like, we don't have a gift for the man of God. Again, seems to be a pretty considerate guy, right? So uh, his servant turns out has some coins. They go into the city and they bump into Samuel. Um, and this starts uh, my next point of that we are people of the word. And I'm going to flesh through this a bit. Um, we think of that as being a people of, uh, of the Bible, and we are, right? We, we want to have that as a basis of, of everything that, uh, that we do. Um, when we have the prophetic operating, we want that to be something that we test against. But I'm, I'm, I cannot pull apart the word as our written text and the word as God's word for us today. Um, I cannot pull those two things apart. And as I go through scripture, I can't pull those two things apart, right? So if, if we're uh, memorizing verses, if we're reading so many uh, chapters a day, which we should be, right? We should be, those are good things. Um, but if it's not alive in our life, we're missing some of it, right? And if it doesn't spur us to have guidance for today, to have something to say to our uh, friends and brothers and sisters, um, we're missing some of it, right? And so that's what I'm talking about when we're people of the word. Yes, we're people of scripture, but we're people of a live word that's amongst us every day in our lives that we should be hearing and heeding, yeah. right? right? So let's dive in, right? So Saul, oh. Okay, so here we are. So now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel. 
He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I've seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man whom I spoke to you. He, he, he it is who shall restrain my people. So fascinating, right? That Saul already had the word from the Lord the night before and then just walking down the street, bam, that's him, right? So that's good, good revelation, right, um, for Samuel. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel said, answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning, I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkey that were the last three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is... Ah, all right, so leave it at that, right? So he says, go up. We're going to talk tomorrow morning. I'm going to tell you everything that's in your brain. Um, and don't worry about the donkeys, right? And then something really weird, this part that I have highlighted... Um, Actually, it's before the highlighted part. Uh, he says, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? For whom is all that is desirable in Israel? So kind of some strange language here, but effectively what he's saying is, wouldn't you like to have the kingdom of Israel, right? Isn't it something that belongs to your father's house? Um, so really weird thing to have somebody say, right? You're out dad's, chasing dad's donkeys and uh, the man of God starts talking to you like this. Um, so he responds, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way, right? So, so why Samuel, are you acting like I could rule the kingdom of Israel uh, when I'm from the smallest clan, I'm the least of the clan, the lowest person and the least of the clans, right? Um, so he immediately, Saul's immediate reaction is like, you got the wrong guy, right? I get kind of what you're saying, but you got the wrong guy. Um, so we've seen this before. Uh, I'm going to bounce into our, our parallel story here. Um, so we're, we're back in Gideon's story. Uh, you remember they're crying out because the Midianites have been oppressing them. Um, and so we start here. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, I kind of think he was being a bit of a smart aleck, right? And maybe that's because I am, um, that I'm assigning that to the angel of the Lord. But, and, and, you follow the story, and it's prophetic, because Gideon does wind up being a mighty man of valor. He was not on that day when this angel of the Lord showed up. Um, and Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So... Gideon basically answers him of like, yeah, yeah, I've heard your fairy tales, whatever, right? So he's heard the stories. He's not buying it. Um, so I'm going to take a bit of a tangent here because I think uh, this is us a lot of times, right? We've heard the stories um, and he, Gideon kind of nails what's wrong, right? That this God who's supposed to be with us, where is he? 
right? Because the Midianites are wrecking us. Where is he? So I'm reminded of uh, Judah and Josiah. My boys just finished a study of Henry Blackaby's uh, Experiencing God. That was a great study for me when I first started walking with the Lord in college, did it with a group of friends. Um, And Blackaby's primary uh, message in there is, if you're wondering um, why God's not giving you something to do, look around, open your eyes up, look around, see what he's already doing and go jump, go join in, go join in with what he's doing. Um, Bill Johnson uh, ups the ante a little bit, I think, in his teaching um, in saying that, you know, if, if we're the restoration, if we're the kingdom come, then when we look out and see stuff broken, we're the kingdom fixers, right? So we don't need a specific word from the Lord to go fix what's broken, right? If we can see that it's messed up, that's our invitation. That's your invitation, right? Um, Alan describes it as, you know, stop trying to look for, you know, the, the water is, that life is uh, this water tunnel, right? Like at the water park, and that if you've fallen out of the tube, that there's nothing there for you, right? But the God's work, the kingdom come, is all around us. So go throw yourself in the ocean, right? I like, I like that analogy. But all that to say, I think it's positive in Gideon's account here that he at least sees what's wrong. He sees what's broken, right? Um, and it says, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? So angel of the Lord is like, it's good. You see the problem. Now let's go fix it, right? Let's go fix it. And Gideon responds, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So that answer is exactly the same the answer that Saul gave, right? You came to the wrong guy, right? I'm from a, the smallest clan. I'm the weakest guy there. Uh, I see the problem. I see the problem, um, but I'm not the right guy, right? So... Um, interesting that that's both of their answers. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hop back to our other story here, right? I just wanted to point out that Gideon and Saul's start in this walk was basically exactly the same. Um, so in Saul's case, uh, Samuel pulls him aside, right? He, they've eaten together. He he walks with him the next morning. He pulls him aside from his uh, servant. He anoints him as prince not king, but prince uh, over uh, Israel. And uh, immediately Saul starts seeing crazy things happen. So he leaves out and kind of everything that Samuel has told him is going to happen, happens. He bumps into people. They're giving him food, giving him bread and wine. He runs into a group of prophets, right? And Saul, who's never had anything like this before, all of a sudden starts prophesying. And the people around say, the son of Kish prophesies more than the prophets, right? Where, who is this guy, right? So he goes a little further along and he runs into those people that are complaining about what the Philistines are doing. Spirit of the Lord falls on him. He gets righteous anger and he says, let's go do something about it, right? And they go win a battle against the Philistines. And really then this goes on for, for a good, you know, I think it's a year or two years that Saul just keeps being hit by the spirit of the Lord, right? And he just goes and does amazing things. So he's, he's uh, pushing back against the Philistines, um, seeing the Lord do mighty things through him. And then it comes time for him to be coronated as king. And 
Samuel shows up. He gathers all the people. Uh, where's Saul? Saul's now hiding in the baggage. So he's seen the Lord work, right? He's been the instrument of the Lord, um, but he still does not think he is the guy. He does not think he's the guy. He is evaluating the situation, evaluating himself and saying, I'm not it, right? So Samuel pulls him out of the baggage, um, anoints him king, and we join the story here. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did, Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So we might think that is brutal, but we cannot say that it's not explicit, right? Some pretty clear directions there. Um, so with that, uh, Saul gathers his army. He goes out. They have a big victory over the Malachites and uh, chase him down. He chases down and captures a gag, I think his name is, the king of the Malachites. And they kill most everyone, um, most of the animals, but they save out the best of the livestock. And the king is still alive with Saul. So Samuel hears of this. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry. And he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. I don't know what that monument was. Doesn't sound great for Saul, um, but I'm not sure what that is. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. Um, and I highlighted that because that's, that's some weird language to me there. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So Saul's saying, hey, I did it. I did what the Lord said. And uh, Samuel said, what then is bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? So he's saying, why, if you did what the Lord said, why am I hearing these Amalekite animals make a noise, right? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Um, then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul said to him, speak. So let's notice a few things here. Um, one, Saul is not owning up to what actually happened yet at this point in it, right? He's not. And he's saying they, right? So he's already kind of scooting himself away from any culpability. And most telling in this is that it's not his God that told him to do something. It's not his God whose word he hasn't followed. It's, uh, it's Samuel's magic genie that's in a bottle that comes to save them sometimes, right? That's, that's whose word he's disobeyed, right? It's not, it's not Saul, Saul's God that he's been interacting with. It's, it's Samuel's God that this has happened with. And Samuel said, 
Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought a gag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the woman you gave me, but the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Saul's having a bit of a revelation here, right? That maybe he screwed this up, right? And so he's saying, well, yeah, we saved out some of the animals, but only so we could sacrifice them to the Lord, right? So we were, we were actually doing a good thing, not being disobedient. Um, to which Samuel responds, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is at the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So Samuel basically tells him, the Lord's not playing your game. Right? The Lord's not fooled by this game. Um, and at this point, Saul starts to get a little more real. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. So he's not following the word that he got today. Right? He's not following the Lord that Samuel gave him. Um, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore... Please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. So it sounds like he's contrite, right? And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skin of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Right? So he basically says, nope, it's done, and the Lord's not changing his mind. Um, interestingly, there is a verse before this and one right after where the Lord says he regrets having made Saul king. Um, and it is the same word. Uh, so kind of a mysterious thing there a bit. Um, but the key I want us to see here is that Saul owned up that he screwed up. Um, and admitted why he screwed up in that he was afraid of the people, right? And he's afraid of what they might say to him, do to him, what they might think of him. He, he had a fear of the people. So in verse 30, it says, Then I, he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow down before the Lord your God. Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. So Samuel gave him what he wanted, which was he wanted to save face in front of the people, right? So he said, I sinned, I was afraid of the people, I listened to their voice instead of the Lord's voice. And rather than staying right there and saying, man, I screwed up and battling it out with the Lord and with uh, Samuel, he basically said, yep, I screwed up. Please don't make me look bad in front of the people. 
he basically had the same idol, right? So he admitted what his idol was, but he didn't go away from it. He still was more concerned about what the people thought of him than what God was doing with him. So seems extremely harsh, right? That the Lord is done with him at this point and given him the boot. Um, but I think it's clear that there was not a change, right? Saul was still in the same place. This is still Samuel's God that he's talking about. And he cares more about the voice of the people than he does about the voice of this God. So, terrible story. Hugh, great. You brought us this terrible, terrible story about this man that didn't want to be king and utterly failed at doing it, right? Good work. So, we are a people who live by faith rather than fear. Um, So, Samuel was trying with Saul. Saul was wrapped up in fear, right? So going back to what we talked about before, right? What are our idols? Maybe it's that shiny thing we're chasing, but maybe it's that thing that we won't stop being afraid of. And I think that's what it was for Saul, right? I don't think he uh, worked through it with the Lord, um, but we don't have to be a Saul. So I'm gonna bounce back into our other story real quick. Uh, So, Gideon, man, he is a tough guy to make a hero out of in a lot of ways, right? Gideon gets the worst press in Sunday school of any guy maybe uh, in the Old Testament outside of ones that are just truly bad, right? Because Gideon's kind of the laughing stock. He's the guy that needs reassurance after reassurance after reassurance. I'm going to turn the fleece this way, and if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, I'm going to turn the fleece this way, and if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, Lord, bear with me. Maybe one more thing, one more sign, one more sign, right? So he goes through after sign after sign, right? Um, But he started in the same place as Saul. So then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So after getting a few signs, right, he sacrificed the goat, made the bread, and it all disappeared in a a puff of fire right in front of the man of God. Um, And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. Um, so a few things. Going back to uh, Paul Martini's sermons, if you remember, um, he came in and obviously we were considering him at the time. He was considering us um, and he preached a sermon to us on submission and he preached a sermon to us on peace. Um, and I remember thinking at the end of his, his sermon on peace of like, man, if I was considering taking pastorship of a church, uh, I would hope that those are kind of the two sermons that I preach uh, starting my relationship with them Um, because it's a good word, right? And and you see Gideon here, right? He went from incredulity, right? Of like, whatever, right? These fairy tales that my dad's been telling me about um, to, wow, you might be the Lord. Um, And then the Lord gives him a place of peace, right? And then let's watch what happens with him. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull, the, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Um, so what is, what's the Lord asking him to do? So he's saying, 
All right, Gideon. So the neighborhood church that you've gone to all your life, that your family goes to, that your friends go to, that your neighbors go to, what I would like for you to do is go burn that thing down. And then I want you to go to the bathroom on top of it, right? And see how you get along with all your neighbors from there, right? That's, that's what he's asking him, right? So it says, so Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So he was still scared, right? He was still afraid and it was a hard thing that the Lord gave him. Um, but unlike Saul, right, he didn't skirt it and then say, yeah, I did it, right? He kept asking for more, right? He kept asking for more assurance, more assurance, more assurance, Lord, and let the Lord convince him, right? He stayed in that place asking for another sign and another sign until all of a sudden he had enough faith to at least do the thing. He did it at night um, and he did almost get killed, right? His dad barely saved him from the neighborhood um, after he did this. Um, so I want to, how am I in time? I'm okay, I think, a little more. So I want to tell you my story a little bit in, in relation to, to Gideon. So um, going back about, six and a half years or so. Um, I had worked at the same place for like 10 years. Um, I always kind of had a pool to, to maybe do my own thing, start my own business. But at this time, I um, was really feeling that, that the Lord was in it, right? That I should be doing something. But, man, I'd worked for other people for, for a long time. And I'm an engineer, right? And there's a certain amount of conservativeness that's built in uh, to the engineer and, and his brain. Um, but, Kept feeling like the Lord is, was pulling me that way. My wife was feeling that way. Um, and um, two, two gut-wrenching decisions that happened kind of over that period. One was to start my own business, and one was to then sell it uh, like a year and a half later. But building up to the, the jumping off to, to start my own, you know, prayed about it, ran numbers, 6,000 different ways, uh, tried to figure out things that you can't figure out really before you jump, jump in there. And, uh, but did feel like the Lord was answering me in my prayer that this is something you should do. But I was, I was Gideon, man. I was like, Lord, I know that you've pretty clearly told me, but, uh, can I have one more sign before I, before I do this? Right. So went to a birthday party at, uh, David and Tamara Bishop's house for uh, Mia, I believe. And, uh, Kids were transitioning from eating to going to play a game. So I was sitting there finishing up my food. And uh, David's dad, Mr. Bishop, came over and sat down across from me and said, Hey, I was uh, praying in my quiet time this morning, and uh, the Lord told me to ask you a question. I was like, okay. He's like, so he told me, when are you going to start your business? And I was, I was wrecked by that, you know, because the Lord was faithful to me, man. And I was being a Gideon, you know, and... Uh, he gave me what I needed to then, then jump out. So, uh, you know, I, I jumped in there to do that, was wholly sold out in doing that. Um, Chris Naidu had, had come and joined me where I was at. He likes to point out almost to the day, um, a year before I then abandoned him to start my company. Um, and honestly, I didn't have the faith that I should have because Chris was like, hey, so I came to work here because of you. Am I going with you? What are we, what's going on here, right? 
And uh, I, I told him, man, I'm taking this risk. I can't make you and your family take the same risk. Um, and, uh, you know, so he wound up going back to the company he'd worked for before. About a month in, I knew, I mean, I had clients calling like crazy. It, it really uh, was way better than I could have expected or hoped. And then I, I begged Chris for years to, hey, <laughs> come work with me. Um, so anyways, go down the road and um, have good clients. I've hired three very young engineers. Um, and I, I get a call from a headhunter and, you know, saying that there's this company that, you know, they, they've known about you. They, they think you're the right guy possibly to start their branch in Albuquerque. Um, and I was like, no, no way. I, you know, the Lord gave me clarity. I'm doing this. No thought about it. Right. And this guy's persistent headhunter. Um, so he called back a few times and then one day he caught me when, um, I was in my office and I was trying to write proposals for jobs that we were already mostly done with that I needed to be sending out invoices on in order to keep cash flow going. And the three young engineers I'd hired were all standing in line to get a little bit of my time in order to be able to be productive on projects. And uh, so I answer and it's Tom. And he's like, hey, just wonder if you had any more thoughts about that. And I was like, ah, yeah, maybe, maybe we should talk, right? Um, which felt like just the idea of it felt like a failure to me um, at that time. And it, you know, so this was a little bit over a year in. Um, and I'd, I'd been having weird things happen. Um, I had a day, you know, and it's, you're, there's something, an adrenaline that comes with that, you know, start, starting a business. Um, and so I had days I was working 10, 12 hours, you know, and trying to make things work. And it, it was, uh, you have energy for it, but, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of a roller coaster a bit. You know, so I had a day where I, I get home, um, kind of wiped out. My wife's mad at me. My kids are fighting with each other in another room. Um, I'm sitting there with a glass of wine, and I hear this voice that just says, just fail. And uh, so then my mind kind of goes to, all right, I just get completely drunk for a week, make my wife, my kids disgusted with me, my clients disgusted with me, and just get rid of the pressure by failing. Maybe that's what, you know. And then immediately just there's almost kind of a refreshing in that and a repulsion at the same time. And I was like, that has to be the devil, right? That, that's the devil. Um, and so then over the course of a few months, I, I just would have that every once in a while, just like this voice saying, just fail. Um, and, and then at the same time, you know, I'm kind of talking to these, to these people, but I, I decide, okay, that's, you know, the Lord's given me clear you know, we're in this together, this company that he gave me a clear word to start. Um, so I call him and say, I'm out. You know, we, we, we're not going to talk about it anymore. And uh, over that period, before I even started the company, I, I had been feeling like the Lord was pushing me to get some time with Frank Cherry. You know, if you don't know Frank and Jan Cherry, they're a uh, huge part of who we are as a church. Uh, they, they've kind of been the father and mother of the uh, inner healing ministry, um, trained up Sean and I in it, um, just been a blessing to us in, in so many ways. Um, but I've been feeling like, man, Lord's pushing me to, to get some time with Frank. So started this business, was too busy, procrastinated, put it off. But coincidentally, maybe not coincidentally, I, I call Frank at this time. It's like, hey, Frank, I've been 
needing to get time with you for a long time. You got some time. And so uh, Frank said, come on over. Um, and he's like, so what are we doing, Hugh? Are we, are we doing theophostics? That's the, the, what the original name was of the prayer ministry. And I was like, I don't know, Frank. I just, the Lord told me to get time with you. It's like, oh, good. Because the Lord's kind of been putting something that I think we should do. Um, I was like, okay. So you got to know Frank. Frank uh, cares not at all what people think and a lot about what God thinks. Um, so he's not at all afraid to be weird, um, which is wonderful. So Frank takes me to uh, a room in their house, says, I want you to sit down in this rocking chair. I'm going to rock you for a while, and then I'll tell you what's next. So I'm, I'm working all kinds of hours, right? So I sit down in this rocking chair, and I'm, I'm out. I'm asleep, like, probably within minutes. And I, I don't know how long I slept, but I wake up. Frank sticks a, uh, a pad and a pencil in my hand, and he says, I want you to write down what you dreamed. I was like, okay, right? And uh, I'm, you know, obviously we're a charismatic church that expects uh, the Lord to be doing something, speaking to us in all kinds of different ways. But honestly, the dream thing's weird for me. It's weird for me. Um, so, you know, I play ball. I write it down and weird dream stuff. And so then he's like, okay, now I want you to write down what it means. And again, right, this is weird for me. Um, so I, I pick out some of the obvious things, right, and write those out. And I'm like, Frank, I don't know, right? And he's like, well, tell me, what, tell me what your stuff is, right? So I described to him, you know, what I've written down in the, in the dream column. Some things like, you know, I saw a lady uh, in a wedding dress riding a bike. Um, and, and Frank tells me, okay, here's typically, you know, what, what wedding dress would mean when it shows up in a dream. And so kind of some of the, the ones that were easy for him that I didn't have any idea, right? So then that fills in the holes for me on this column, you know, where I'm trying to write out what it means. And it, it basically is that, you know, you have opportunity for a new relationship that's going to be a blessing to you both effectively is, is kind of the message. So I still didn't connect that with what was going on with me with, you know, potentially joining with this other company. Um, but it was, it was kind of a, a key thing there, right? And like I said, dream stuff was weird for me. Um, at the same time, my wife had a dream, um, and uh, I, won't, I won't describe that, but basically it was uh, similar in that it kind of pointed towards that this was the way that we should go. Um, so we both, uh, the idea of doing something different after I just started this was, was crazy. Um, we were asking all kinds of people for advice. I sat down with Alan uh, multiple times, um, negotiated with these guys. They made me an offer. I made them a counter. They made me a counter. And they gave me a deadline of like, we love you, but you got to decide something here, right? And so, you know, clock is ticking. I'm on the fence. I can't decide what to do. Sean and I are praying about it a bunch, talking to a bunch of people. Um, but, man, I'm on the fence, you know. So I meet with Alan a couple of days before. Then he's like, you know you are going to have to make a decision, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And uh, get up on the morning of, I don't have a decision. Um, so Sean and I pray and I, I just feel like I'm like all right let's just go back to let's leave out all the advice all the numbers we've run all that and what has the Lord told each of us right so she went back to the dream that she had had you know and this was a nighttime dream and I went back to you know sitting in the chair with Frank and it's like man the answer's been sitting there for a month and we've been gut punching ourselves trying to make this decision um so all that to say, uh, man, through that all, I was a Gideon. 
But it's better to be a Gideon and keep asking for another sign and another sign and another sign than a Saul that blows it because he doesn't get to know the Lord. This guided the people forever, right? So let's, uh, what's, what's my time like, Steve? Should I do communion or roll into ministry? Okay, so let's, uh, let's take communion together. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me. You read through uh, Kings and, and just to kind of extend our, the time frame that we've been working in a bit, you know, you got Samuel and then you roll into Kings and Kings is a bit of a roller coaster itself. But if you're watching it like a stock market thing, it kind of starts high and there's some up and down, but it's, it's mostly going to zero, right? The, the people are going to be removed from the land that the Lord gave them. Um, but at, at the end of that book, um, it talks about that they, they find again the book, right? Uh, under Josiah, I think it is. They find the book again um, that tells their history, right? Their history, history with the Lord. And it tells them about the Passover and they start doing the Passover again. And it turns out they haven't done the Passover since the time of the judges. So you got all these kings, right? And that should have the history. And they haven't done the Passover since the time of the kings or since the time of the judges. Um, so we're not a religious bunch, right? We, we want to be following the word of the day, the, the day, but we're so grateful, right? So grateful that the Lord gives us his body. So Lord, we receive you. And we're so grateful for the life, the day-to-day life. The, the, the life that comes from your sacrifice, from your blood. Lord, we receive not a stagnant religion. We receive uh, a vibrant life, a vibrant life that speaks to us every day. Lord, we receive you. So um, if you want to come up, so I'm grateful for the words that the Lord gave me. I don't know what to do with it <laughs> in regards to ministry. I, I think there are a few things, right, that if, if the Lord spoke to your heart um, about idols, right, whether that be something that is just taking too much of your devotion or if it's something that's consuming too much of your fear, um, I think there's power uh, for us tonight to uh, at least take the first step to pushing that stuff out, right? So I think that's the first call, right? If there's something that you need to be given up for Lent or longer, um, man, come and come and just take a step with the Lord tonight and, uh, and do that, right? And if there's something that, that uh, has been holding you back from stepping into something the Lord's given you a vision of doing, um, come give that up. Come give that up, right? Even if you feel like, man, Monday morning, I don't know if I can really, if I can really hold out. Um, come be a Gideon. Come be a Gideon and uh, ask the Lord for a sign. Ask the Lord for that next little step, right? Ask him for something. Ask him for something tonight, right? Let's don't be, let's don't be rash like Saul. Let's don't uh, put ourselves in the place of the priest and make sacrifices because we're scared of the uh, Philistines uh, like Saul did. Um, let's don't, uh, let's don't not hear the word of the Lord because we're scared of other people 
or we're scared of something else. Um, let's be Gideon, man. Let's take the fear to the Lord. Let's give him the opportunity to work through it with us. Come, Lord.